nine years, 2014-ish. Been in Kensington and Brooklyn for six years about. Almost exactly six years. Was that a work-related move? No. I lived in Montreal for like 10 years. Um, and me and my wife were like, we love Montreal, but we're ready to not live here. And we, New York is not the most random place to move to, but it was essentially random. Um, and then we really liked it. Being spread out all over the country, it seems like it can be difficult when the time comes to, you know, do an album or tour. Uh, yeah. I mean, now, now we're all in New York. Now my band is like, oh, actually, now we're between Brooklyn and Beacon. <laughs> oh, well, that's that's a 30-minute trade right right there. That- well, it, it's, it, it's farther than you think. Um, I, I feel like acro- going across New York City is longer in many ways than, than a lot of trips within the continental U.S. <laughs> I get my Los Angeles friends if I'm meeting up with people on the west side and they live on the east side. I totally understand not wanting to cross Los Angeles, you know, anywhere near rush hour. But New York, like, we've got this wonderful subway system, and it goes pretty much, you know, <laughs> every more or less everywhere, and at least four, four of the five boroughs. But yet... You know, me asking somebody to come out to Queens, is, it would be like me asking somebody to like get on a plane and fly to see me. <laughs> no, I've I have friends in Queens that I've never been to their place because it's it, and it as the crow flies, it's like nineteen minutes, but it's it's like ninety five minutes. Beacon seems like it would be a pretty good place to to ride out of the pandemic. I, you know, it, it was tough for me. I live in a, I live in a one bedroom. But it, it was hard. Being in New York, and you've got a family, I imagine that that must have driven you up the walls. Yeah, it was it was very intense. Um, I mean, particularly the spring, just when it was when New York was like the whatever. I when New York was so intense, like right when it started, and it was you know uh, we have three kids. We had our tw- we have twins who are two and an eight year old. So we were getting like a second grader home from school, like doing a second grader doing TV school, which was hor- horrible. Well, just like computer school, like online school, like, like, but being eight years old and like on a laptop. No, no, no. Just like, just, just horrible. I mean, the teachers did their best. They were great, but it was just not a, not a great circumstance. But, the, and I mean, I mean, we were very lucky and like, we have like a little yard in the back and like, you know, we're relatively near the park, but you know, for a while you couldn't, in that spring, you couldn't even go to the park. Like they had like closed off the parks, which was like, and I, I even took my eight year old out a couple of times to like the parade grounds and we were like kicking a ball and the ball would like go past some other people and they'd be like about to throw it back and you'd be like, never mind, we'll come get it. Like step back for just in that, like it. Like April, March, April, May was like so crazy, and then and then it was a year of hangover, hangover from that, and then it'll come out again. I'm sure every periodically throughout my life, like I'll like when my kids go off to sc- school, they'll be like, "Why are you being so crazy?" And I'll be like, "Why am I being so crazy?" Oh, it's the pandemic. That's why I'm being so crazy to you right now. But anyway, to like take this can of tomatoes. <laughs> the like psychological impact that you're carrying? Yeah, I think so. I think it'll come out at some point. 
but uh, again, we were ultimately fine. Um, and, uh, we were very lucky and we were lucky to be able to stay home and like on the balance, it was lovely to spend so much time with the family, with my kids, you know, it's like, like not say it wasn't, it was very difficult, but, but on the balance, it was a net positive, but it was, uh, sure was kooky. (laughs) I've heard some kind of bummer stories from people who are touring all the time and like miss these like really important moments in their, their children's formative years. And at very least, like one of the things this did was force you not, you know, that sounds bad, but it did. It forced you to, to be around and to see everything. Yeah. I mean, when I was in arcade fire, it was always relatively civilized. I mean, we, we kept it relatively civilized and we would tour and then take breaks and touring was, we were never that dedicated to life on the road. Um, we were, and we were very fortunate to be able to make it work that way. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, that was like a long stretch of, of, uh, of chilling out, (laughs) of uptight chilling out. How aware were the twins that something strange was happening? I don't think they were very aware. They were two and they had each other. So they weren't even like, like, I think it was hard for people. I mean, even, even, uh, you know, we have lots of friends with one kid and I think that was probably stranger because their kid wasn't hanging out with any other kids. And our kids were at least hanging out with two other kids and the twins had each other. And uh, an eight-year-old hanging out with a two-year-old, if that... No, Alvin, my oldest Alvin, did not have that much fun. He he did not enjoy his pandemic. And the twins were blissfully unaware, and they played with each other. And and it wasn't... Yeah, it was, it was basically no biggie for them. And like... But, you know, we had friends with kids that age who didn't have other kids around, and they're, they're like speech developmental delays and stuff because you're just not like chatting with other kids and chatting or with other grown-ups and stuff i mean they're good parents but it's just like when you're completely isolated from society it'll like it'll strange things happen um but yeah our our eight-year-old now 11-year-old did not enjoy it until you know, the, it was six months and then he started playing baseball that fall, like that October, six, seven months in. And that was great because that's, that's standing in a field 20 feet apart from everyone. Then that's how you play the game. <laughs> like that's the nature of the game. So it was extremely normal. And he was like playing baseball with his friends and it was like, and you're throwing the ball 20 feet anyway. So it like, that was com- a completely normal experience. And that was like the start of it. Of he was in the outfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point and, and maybe it's something that like, isn't, I mean, I'm sure if you have kids, it's something that you and the other parents discuss a lot, but the, you know, for, for like kids in high school, I understand how incredibly difficult that must have been, you know, like missing your prom and missing all these formative things, but socializing and, and learning social skills is such a big part of those younger grades. The kids that were in kindergarten and first grade, I think, got the raw steel, like, right when you, like, learn how to walk in line. <laughs> like, learn how to, like, 
you know, just like dealing with being in a room with 20 people is such a social skill. And like, and those kids that missed that got the raw steel. I mean, Alvin, Alvin, again, Alvin didn't have the most fun. Um, being a second grader and like, yeah, he was, he was, he had a pretty bummer, bummer year, but, uh, but yeah, the, there were, there were a lot of kids that were just like really would have benefited from like hanging with people. And I, I mean, and I don't mean that in any political sense, that is not a comment on, <laughs> I feel like I need to put an asterisk. Like this is not a comment on policy. This is just me. Chatting. No, like, no, Every, I wouldn't have done any better. Everybody who went through it under, <laughs> understands what you're talking about. Like everyone was doing their, well, not everyone was doing their best, but a lot of people are doing their best. <laughs> you know, now that you're in a band with, your wife how does touring work so we just did three weeks in europe and for that stretch my parents came down and they just got totally hammered by all the fall school colds they just got like both everybody got pink eye and people were throwing up and it was it was nobody intense. has immunities anymore yeah but um but you, you know we for a couple stretches before we ha- we hired a babysitter that we've known since before we had kids uh, and we hired and and Jenny's sister Julie is also in the band and her husband who mixed my record he's a great uncle like he stayed with the kids this last weekend we were we were doing a weekend of shows and he stayed with the kids and he's great um, good uncle so yeah family and babysitters and uh, and it was an experiment the twins are five now so it feels possible like it, it uh, and everyone's in school. And when that's cruising, like the weekdays just fly by. Um, but it was an experiment and it worked. I was like, oh, okay, we can do this because um, we had never done it before. I talked to parents in bands who have taken their kids both at a very young age, but also sort of later when they're actually like understand what's going on, have taken them on tour with them. Is that something that you, you would ever do? Yeah, I would do. Um, it depends. I mean, it's honestly just like a cost calculation <laughs> and a and a space calculation. It's like, uh, how many seats do we have in the van? Like, and how many hotel rooms do we need to get? Uh, but no, I would. I mean, Alvin uh, again, our oldest Alvin, and is interested in that. And if the timing was right, I wouldn't. I wouldn't hesitate to bring him out. Um, but yeah, it's like van tour is is pretty hot and heavy. Um, it's not, you know, it's not good for, it's not good for a young person's bones. <laughs> He's old enough to appreciate what the two of you do for work. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's, uh, he's old enough and he's thoughtful enough. Um, and he is, you know, he's interested in the world. Um, and he, and, and actually he minded more when that we were gone, like we were gone for three weeks and the five-year-olds kind of didn't bat an eye. They just were like, which is not true of all five-year-olds. Some would just break down every day, but they, they didn't bat an eye. And he was like, he kind of missed the emotional support. I mean, my parents are great. They're great grandparents, but like he, he, uh, just having his mom and dad, he was like, Oh, I missed that. Like, like you guys get me. (laughs) 
So he's a preteen. He's not a teenager yet. You know, he would be, it'll be different when he's 14. <laughs> it's angst, but it's a different kind of angst. It's yeah. pre-angst. Yeah, it's pre-angst. You come from a musical family for several generations, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, my mom is a uh, is a harpist and a musician and a jazz jazz harpist and rock and roll piano player. Um, and her parents were musicians. Her mom was a singer in a singing group with her sisters called the King Sisters. They were born, their last name was originally Driggs, but they changed it to King for showbiz. Their dad's name was King. Anyway, and then my yeah, mom's was dad was like Albino Ray. Like sisters a, kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like four-part harmony, jazz jazz harmonies. Um, and my grandma Louise, uh, she married my grandpa. His name is Albino Ray. He was born Alvin McBurney, but changed his name to Alvino Ray. Guitar player, big band leader. And then, yeah, my grandma grew up in like a pre-depression, like itinerant, entertaining family, like driving across the American West in like the 19-teens, 1920s, like doing church shows and and proto-vaudeville with her dad, who was, um, yeah, just her dad, like, we're a family band now, and kind of, and that was, you know, and he was born in, what, 1880s Utah or something like that, just like... Real hardcore life. Oh, so they were like pioneering Mormons? Yeah. Early, early yeah, my, my great-grandpa, King Driggs, was like the last son of the second wife of like a polygamist homesteader, <laughs> like in desert Utah, like in small town Utah, like farmer, rancher guy. And then he... he wanted to be a musician and got married and had kids and was like kind of a failed composer and music teacher. And then turned his family into a family band. And, and I don't know that it was that successful, but they, they did it. <laughs> like they, they like, like my grandma wrote a memoir and like between the lines, you can feel how rough it was. It's like, and then like, daddy got thrown in prison for, for, I don't know what. And you're like, you know what, you know what he got thrown in prison for. You're just like, what, what was going on, grandma? (laughs) Maybe it's a case of like being more willing to tell more about yourself and not wanting to reveal things. Other people don't necessarily want revealed. And it it was interesting. I mean, it's also genuinely, it's genuinely complicated. Like it is, it is like genuinely a happy story with a happy ending where they became like famous singers. They like grew up in this family band and then the sisters became famous singers and like brought the family up out of poverty and, and they loved each other and it was, and it was great, but it's also extremely complicated and very human. And like, like there was like definitely a toll. I mean, it's, it's kind of like everything in the, in the 20th century where it's like, there was like a massive human toll, particularly on the women that it was just like completely unspoken. And, and for a lot of women was just like, they were, they were just like, that's the bargain. Like, that's what it is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like she, because that's the world she lived in. She would, she was very, happy with it or for whatever that means. Um, 
but yeah, no, I mean, I very complicated, but ultimately like a happy ending, but still like a very complicated story. So your mom was juggling a music career and children at the same time. Yeah, it was pretty, it was not as intense. Like when I was a, when I was a baby, like she was playing nightclubs and stuff. Um, I was born in Northern California, like, like half an hour outside of Reno. Um, so my mom was playing like nightclubs in Reno and like Tahoe and stuff when I was, when I was two or three before I remember. And then by the time I was alive, we were living in suburban Texas and she wasn't super active, but she was, she was doing concerts in schools and she, she made a couple records within my memory, but it was not as hardcore as, as when in the early eighties when I was really young or before, I mean, before that she was like, a studio musician in LA and, and, uh, you know, like had a rock band in the late sixties, like when she was in her, in her twenties. That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so she, she had, there was not the most intense phase of that for her. And, and partly, partly it was because we were in suburban Texas and it's not like there were like oodles of opportunities to play music. I think she would have probably wanted to play more music, um, but was in suburban Texas, um, which is, which I was also not aware of as a youth. <laughs> when the kids grew up and moved out, did she kind of rekindle that part of her? A little bit, not a ton. Um, my parents moved to Maine. My dad's from Maine. Um, my dad grew up in Maine. My mom's from LA and, uh, it's so physically beautiful where they live. Uh, and that was always kind of my mom's, like my mom grew up in showbiz and she kind of, again, it very complicated where it's like both wanted to do it, but also knew it very intimately and didn't want to do it, but also wanted to do it, but also didn't want to do it, but also knew it very intimately, but also knew it very intimately. <laughs> and so they moved, they moved to Maine when we were in college, they moved to Maine, which is less, less rock and roll than suburban Texas even. But she, I mean, she's always stayed active. She's always recorded things and, and made records and if nothing else played the harp in church and stuff like that. But, uh, no, not playing gigs that much, but, uh, but, it, you know, I, I think in a perfect world, she would have it all, but she was very willing to like, be like, I'm happy to live in a beautiful place. Like there's like water here and, and like a little bit of mountain, like this is pretty good. When you were younger, your mother having been in and around show business, did they, did they encourage you or dissuade you when it came to actually trying to pursue music professionally? No. I mean, uh, as best as I can tell, it just made it extremely normal that I would play music. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was in college, I took a semester off my sophomore year. I took my spring, we actually did trimester. So I took my spring trimester off and went to Montreal to be an arcade fire. And, there was a lot of families that would be like, absolutely not. <laughs> like you are in school to be an engineer. But like my family was like, Oh, that makes sense that you would play music. 
and they weren't expecting any success or anything, but like it was, my dad's a geologist, but he, you know, he knows my mom's family really well and he knows my mom really well, obviously. So, um, so they were both into uh, rock, but different. Exactly. Of. Go down, get out of here. This interview is over. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you. It was pretty terrible. But yeah, so, it, so as best as I can tell, it just made it extremely normal. And, you know, I'm not particularly technically talented, but I'm very musical. Like I just grew up so deeply exposed to music that it, it did, it did give me the skill set to make good music, <laughs> whether it's nature, nature and nurture. How do you sort of differentiate technical skill with musicality? I mean, technical skill is, is training and, you know, it's just like hours at a keyboard or a guitar or it's getting taught in a specific way. Um, and musicality is a bit more instinct and like moving to the music and feeling the beat, you know, it's, it's like just feeling the music and, and having good instincts. But like, you know, you can be a, if you have good instincts, you can like sit in an organ and play two notes on an organ and add something to a song, but you can't, you can't play an amazing organ solo, but you can like contribute. You know, if you're a dancer, like my, my band sister squares is all people that are basically people that are dancers who are never like technically you know, they took like high school band, but they're so musical, like they can just slot into music in a way that's, that it's not like they, they can't do like runs on a keyboard. Um, but they respond to music. And then as long as you can produce something in response to music, then it, it all works out. I haven't heard anyone really describe it that way in, in the sense of, I mean, obviously dancing and music are very interrelated, but, but there being some transferable skills between the two having having a band i mean not obviously not entirely but having a band with several non-musicians how does that impact the music i mean it kind of depends on what kind of music you're making i've always made it from like i've it's vaguely in the punk rock tradition and the punk the true punk rock tradition is not even musical just like complete idiot like i'm a complete idiot blah and there's something amazing in that. There's something very naive um, and and can be very powerful in that. And so the bar is just, the bar is anything. <laughs> it's like the bar is uh, a John Cage dropping a toaster on a tile floor is music. Like a Duchamp kind of. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, we're starting, the, like that's the bar is that like, Sid Vicious is music and dropping a toaster on a tile floor is music. And so that's the tradition that the music I make comes from basically. And so if you can, if you can hold a beat, then, then it's great. And like, I remember early days, Miles Arntzen, Miles Francis in my band is an amazing drummer. And, uh, one of the first times we played together as a band, it was Julie Shore was playing synth keyboard, 
like she's a piano player, but she's never played bass or anything. But I was like, this, this synthesizer sounds good on bass. Like you play bass and miles is playing drums and, and miles was so pleased to play with someone who was playing bass that did not have, they just hadn't been taught any rules or anything about what it means to be a bass player. So it's just like, Oh, this, this feels right. Or this feels right. But it's not like you have to match it with the kick drum and like leave space for this. It's just like, what, this feels kind of cool. And this feels This feels bad. And this feels cool. And just, if you're musical, then it, then it develops into something. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes if it's not musical, it still develops into something pleasing, but that's a different, that's a, those are different genres. Like, like, uh, it just means that it's nice to not be aware of, of, uh, it's nice for there to be some sort of naivete. Uh, I mean, I always respond to that. Some, some sort of naivete. There's a pretty steep learning curve, I would imagine. Well, I mean, but no, I mean, Julie's a great piano player. So, so playing, you know, so she can play, it's just one note. Um, same. And, and everyone in the band is such, and Miles is a true drum. Like Miles has been playing drums since they were five or whatever. And everyone's an amazing singer. You know, they all took like chorus and they've all done musicals and stuff. So everyone's like an amazing singer. And has, and is a comp, you know, can read, they're not like, they, how do you, I've never written anything out, but they can like read music. They've all taken five years of piano lessons or done high school band. Like it's not from nothing. It's not from, it's not from nothing. Um, but not, but not technically proficient. Not again, except Julie can play show, you know, Julie is like a piano player. Like Julie plays Chopin and play guitar you know like they're it's not that naive um but just not not a not music school but i mean miles went to music school like it's not it's not a dig against music school it's just like not not trained in that sense i assume you were being a little hyperbolic with the the dropping a toaster on the floor thing because you do obviously you know you have standards when it comes to like what you're putting your name on yeah, yeah, I, I mean that more just like in the in the tradition, like that's like that's the side of the ledger that I'm coming from. Because there's other ways, like there's there's so many ways to come to music. Like you can come to music from practicing violin from age four, and there's something astounding about that. Or you can come to music by like by by being raised in the church and doing church every Sunday and singing in the church choir and becoming a soloist. Like that's a way to come to music. And like I, and I came to music growing up with a musician mom, but I, but my philosophy was as a teenager is a little bit more like, what is a human again? I guess I'm going to do this and I'm human. And this is part of being human is making this sound beep, boop, beep, boop, beep, boop. Like it's, it's just like creating music being an essential part of the human condition. Yeah. Just like, like a little bit more philosophical. Like it's coming from a bit more of a philosophical place, which I'm not recommending. It's just kind of the path that it took to get there. Like it's, uh, 
Yeah, like it's. Uh, I'm trying to think of, of. Uh, anyway, I'm just trying to describe what the what I see our genre as being. <laughs> if that makes sense, it's obviously very abstract in in a way. You know, to to try to. There, there's obvious labels you can give to music, but to to describe the the approach and to describe, I, I guess you know, as the kids say, like the vibe is an entirely different conversation. Yeah. No, I mean, like it's like making a record is making this weird document, and it's and it's making electrons shake in a specific way and recording those electrons. And that's what I, I, and at some level I think of that when I'm making a record and some people, when they think of making a record is like, I'm making a song and I'm making a perfect song and like, and then we're capturing that, um, which is a great way to think of it. But I'm, I'm thinking of it a bit more in the tradition of dropping a toaster on a tile floor, but, but it's not that exactly, but it is, um, if that makes sense. I don't, I don't even think there is a, I don't even think that as a John Cage piece. (laughs) (laughs) He came from a musical background and he, and he had, you know, was incredibly musical, musically gifted, but started. He's an extremist and I don't support his extremist ideals. I reject them. (laughs) I think compositions should have music in them or, um, yeah, I I guess what, what I'm having trouble, uh, squaring a little bit there is the, like what it means to take a scientific approach and how looking at the music production process as vibrating atoms, how that plays into your approach. Uh, it's, it's scientific maybe. in just like the, like, like in a Socratic method kind of science where you're just like, where it's, it's kind of starting from first principles each time where you're like, what is a drum? This is the drum. Like, tell me Monosthenes, like, what do you think music is? Like, I think music must, you must clap on the two and four for music. Ah, yes, Monosthenes. But what do you think of, you know, it's, it's. uh... So you're kind of reconceptualizing the band or the music every time. Yeah, but not, I mean, we're also a band, like, we're also just, like, playing, playing tunes. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm describing my philosophical approach to it, which is different than, like, my practical approach to it. Like, the practical approach to it sometimes is pick up a guitar or pick up a drum machine and, uh, you know, at this point I've played guitar for 20 years. Like I'm not a naive guitar player by any stretch. Like I'm a person who's played guitar for 20 years, even though I don't think of myself as a guitar player. 20 years. I mean, that's, I, I may be, my, my memory is bad, but 20 years seems to be about the timeline for arcade fire starting. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, you picked up the guitar specifically for arcade fire. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't play guitar on Arcade Fire. Um, no, I mean, I played bass. You know, I got a bass when I was in eighth grade, and I took piano lessons in first grade. Um, 
but I was never a guitar player. I, I, uh, played guitar on tour and one song with arcade fire. You know, I played acoustic guitar on the song Haiti, uh, which I played in a fairly naive way. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's just like 20 years on from that. It's like, Oh, I've been playing guitar for 20 years now. Like it's no longer naive. Now it's like, it's now it's a method. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, that those two things kind of, co- kind of coincided in that way. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, you were getting serious and, and joining a band. So you wanted to, it sounds like explore other musical avenues. Is that true? No, it, again, it was just like what, it's just the tools at hand. It was just like making music with the tools at hand. And again, like I took piano lessons and I'm like fifth generation musician. So it's not like it is not a Sid Vicious situation by any stretch, but it is, it's more inspired by that than, than learning scales. But I did learn scales at a certain point. I mean, I'm not good at them, but I could play you an E flat scale, which Sid Vicious couldn't do. <laughs> is there an extent to, I mean, this is a, this is a silly question, but like, is there extent to what's just being from a musical family gives you a head start? It's not a coincidence. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to like parse out exactly what it is, what, what the advantage is. You haven't lived another life. So yeah, obviously it's tough to yeah one to one. No, but it's not like, it's not like my grandfather had like label connections that got us in with merge records, the indie label in North Carolina. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't, it wasn't a classic like nepotism angle, but it is like growing up in a family of woodworkers and you're like, you know how to whittle pretty good. (laughs) And then you're like, and then you're like, Oh, I'm a whittler now. Like I'm a professional whittler. Uh, Like there is an aspect of that that it's that it's a little bit is as best as I can tell, it's a little bit skill and it's a little bit comfort with the materials. And it's a little bit, it's a lot of just, again, not, they're not being a barrier. Like I think, I think there's like a conceptual barrier to being an artist or being a musician for a lot of people. And there's like a straight up, it's hard when someone tells you not to do something, it's hard to then do it, even if it's in a casual way. Where it's like, you can't be a musician. Like, it's that to me is that it was just normal, made it infinitely easier in a way that's like difficult to comprehend what advantage that was because it just made it normal. It's like a default. I mean, it's like going to college, like being a first generation college kid is different than being a third generation college kid. Cause it's like, Oh, it's normal to go to college. And when you're a first generation college kid, it's like, and I'm a third generation college kid. So it's like, Oh, this is normal. And you obviously you go to school and you get a diploma and it, you just, there's something very normal about it. That is not that it's hard to articulate every aspect of it. And, and there are aspects of it that are easy to articulate, but every aspect of it is like a little bit, it gets a little bit more mysterious, but it's obviously there. Like, it's not a coincidence that like 
it's it's four generations in of people being musicians. It's like makes a lot of sense. It's a very serious thing, and it seems that you're taking the music very seriously if you're like moving to another country to play in a band. Yeah. Though again, just in your twenties, people do all sorts of things in their twenties. This was you, like saying, like hey, this is my shot. Like let, let let let's do this, and let me put everything into this thing. It was honestly, it was more casual than that. It was more like doing this now, and that was, and that's partly why it was so easy. Like that's partly the ease I was talking about. Where it's like, oh, I'm just going to do this, and everyone was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Like it wasn't that casual, but it it was, it, it, it was my journey to it. Again, my journey to it was remarkably casual. I would say like there was no plan. I didn't feel planned at all. It just felt like an expression. So you went back to school in 2017. Mm-hmm. Was that a backup? You know, what were you, were you thinking about doing something other than music for a while? No, I I had no plans to do things other than music. Um, I'm there. There was there were a bunch of reasons why we went in, why I went back to school. Um, on a selfish level, I just wanted to turn on that part of my brain. Like I'm a, I am a school person (laughs) like I'm a reader and a writer and a and I enjoy school and I wanted you know I was turning 30 it was this was 2015 so I was I was 30 30 uh no it's 2016 I went went back in 2016 so I was 34 and I was like oh I feel like my brain is still flexible enough that I could learn something here and and you know Arcade Fire was was very uh heavily engaged with Partners in Health this great organization that's that was kind of revolutionized healthcare um and just is very moral organization and is and has just like saved millions of lives like in a nutshell like they partners in health basically pioneered aids treatment in rural places and and multi-drug resistant tuberculosis treatment in rural places particularly haiti and but also peru and and uh, just proved that you could do that you could treat poor people like normal people and they would get better like normal people. <laughs> like they were just like, how about we give them medicine? Oh, it worked. Like everyone go fuck yourselves. Bare minimum stuff. But I was also like, like, Oh, okay. I can, like, I could, like, I feel like I could be more useful both if I knew more and if I was more accredited than like, if I have like a Grammy and like a master's degree from Harvard, I feel like I can like, like cut to the front of some conversations and just be able, and be like a ad- more effective advocate and also can learn, like it's very easy to not be helpful in a policy front. And it's very easy to like, if you're a band engaged in charity at all to be, to do negative things in the world. And I was like, Oh, I should learn. I should both learn more, but also I can be more effective if I'm to the extent that, that assholes care about credentials. Let me get that credential. And then I can, I can like, I can at least like those barriers will disappear. Um, 
And also just selfishly, like, this will be good for my brain. And like, it'll be nice to like, make some new friends in a completely random circumstance and like, and engage with the world on a different place. And I, at the time, I was extremely philosophically against an MFA, like against like doing a writing program or doing something like that. I was very against, now I'm less against it. Now I've, I've softened in my old age. I don't know. Just like, like, oh, you can't teach art that way, blah, 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 whatever. And now I'm like, oh, actually, that's kind of great. Uh, and I, I was like, wow, I was, I was, I mean, I, I wasn't even a jerk to anyone about it. It was a privately held belief in my head. <laughs> but I was like, oh, I want to go back to school. Like, I'm not doing an MFA. And now I'm like, oh, I could have done that too. That would also would have been fun. But I wanted to do something orthogonal to arts like with the aim of like learning about the world in a different way as like an arts education where it's like, Oh, like going to, I went to the the Kennedy school for public policy. And I was like, Oh, learning deeply about public policy, I think will actually impact my art in a way that like, like just focusing on craft, it'll just be different. And it did. And it was great. And it was, it's great to like learn how the world works in a different way. And like, spend a year like reading research papers and learn how to read a research paper and like learn, like get some of that, you know, if you really focus for a year on something, you, it gets into your mind in a different way than if you just pick it up slowly. Um, and so it was great. It was, and, and it ended up being the year that Trump got elected. So it was a very interesting time to be in a public policy school. Like it was a very rich time to be like at a place analyzing what's going on in the world. I got to say, you know, it, it's, it's funny now with some remove from it, but you know, in the, in the process of like, you know, I was reading some interviews that you did and I found one from 2015 with the guardian and you were so hopeful. You're like, oh, you know, Obama's in. Like, I, you know, I think things are trending up, and it's just wild. And then, bam, yeah, we kind of hit a wall right there. Yeah, no, and I and I went into school a bit more like being like, oh, public policy, for better or worse, it's kind of a video game, and this will help me get better at this video game. And and then Trump got elected, and it was like, it's not a fucking video game, mate. You're like, oh, shit, right. This is not a video game. Measurable impact on people's lives. Yeah. And also the inputs and outputs are not numbers. It's like the inputs and outputs are extremely messy and extremely heavy. So it's like it was it was a good environment to to at least start thinking in those terms. It might have been the same interview. You mentioned Moby Dick and... During the pandemic, I went back and reread Moby Dick. <laughs> I, I, I had re- I'd read it. Th- actually, yeah, I probably can't say it. Um, I, I'd read it during high school, and I don't think I really got the whole thing because it, it, it's a it's a wildly it's a wild book. <laughs> it's it's disparate. It's like there's you know just like chapters of you know and like encyclopedic stuff much of which is is very very wrong but i think that's kind of the point <laughs> in some places it's also like a very gay book which is something yeah. that i don't feel like gets commented on a lot it's amazing and it is a very i mean obviously melville wrote a lot of great things but it is a very singular work at least in the english language in terms of how the book is structured and you said something along the lines of my goal is to make music or to make art be like Moby Dick. And I'm wondering how, how I'm wondering how, I'm wondering how some, something like Moby Dick influences 
the art you make. Yeah. And that, that is a reason like why I was in school where it is that encyclopedic epic sense of the world. But also it's like my experience of Moby Dick is that it's like a hundred percent deadly serious and a hundred percent kidding. And just like, it's everything at a hundred percent. It's like really funny and really heartfelt and very detached and ironic, but like also like the most spiritual thing. <laughs> it's like all of the things at once, like, it, and uh, like in some ways it's very detached, but it's so, it is not, it does not like a, it's not a modern ironic de- detachment. It's like a very passionate thing as well. And, uh, and, and that was like, that was a quality, which I'm not directly pursuing now, but I still am a little bit where like in performance, you want to be like, I was never a drinker. Now I will have like a glass of wine, but I was never a drinker, but I wanted to be like, like a hundred percent drunk, like, like a Bacchus style drunk living and a hundred percent analytical and sober at the same time, or just like Dionysian release and total analytical commitment to what was going on, which is kind of the, that's kind of the, that's kind of the, that's kind of Moby Dick as well. Just like a bacchanal, but also so technical and so in the head, but also just like, and, 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 and I'm still, that is still very appealing to me where it's like, something just very powerful and spiritual and just completely unleashed, but with enough technical rigor to be comprehensible to the outside world. <laughs> and and then to and then to produce a text that is rich enough that it's you can return to it. Like Moby like just like like I'm I'm I I've got a play up in New York right now that I did the music for. It's called Stereophonic. It's written by this playwright David Adjimi. And and it's really great. And almost everyone I know who's gone to see it has loved it. And it's amazing. But even the people that I know that I respect that haven't liked it, it's still a very richly analyzable text. Like they still can't stop talking about it. <laughs> and there's something that, that, uh, that that's very appealing to me that just like a true eruption, but that, that is analyzable that you can play the parts against each other. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something I pursue. You use the word spiritual, uh, to describe aspects of Moby Dick. And I saw you're discussing reading a lot of Emily Dickinson during the pandemic and said something along the lines of, um, the kind of the, uh, the romantic and the religious are in, almost inseparable in that work. You know, I, and you, you, you grew up in the church to a certain extent. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. So at this point, how would you say that spirituality plays a role and is present in the work you make and, and how much of that is a conscious decision? I mean, the way I talk about it is just like my big old monkey brain relates to it this way. <laughs> like my big old monkey brain gets the, gets the feelies when this happens and it's probably just my monkey brain, but like, this is how my body and what feels like my spirit responds to this. 
and that it responds, you know, and it's still fundamentally like, like even in this world of facts checking and whatever, like we're still just fundamentally going on our gut when we decide when something is true. We're like, it is fundamentally like, oh, I believe it. Like, it's not like Einstein is the reason I believe Einstein is because like fundamentally at some level, I'm just like, okay, sure. I'll go with that. (laughs) You can't be an expert in everything. And to a certain extent, you have to trust the experts in those things, but it's a decision of who to trust and why. And, and to me, those decisions for lack of a better word are fundamentally spiritual when you're just deciding what is true. You're like, this is true and this isn't true. And then when you're making art, the inputs are probably from my childhood and the inputs are from the culture around me and the inputs are flawed and they're very contingent. But still, when I'm making a song, it's still like, does this feel true? Does this feel not true? Does this feel transcendent? Does this not feel transcendent? And like, when I'm away from the process, you can like definitely analyze it and you can, it's, it's very easy to, 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 to figure out what adds up all the vectors as to why you feel that way. But in the moment, you kind of have to like give into your monkey brain and be like, this is true. <laughs> and that to me is the, you know, very flawed spiritual core of what I'm doing. It's like, is this true? Is this not true? Is this true? Is this not true? Like, and it's, and it's not actually in my heart. It's here and it's whatever I was reading and it's whatever my parents told me when I was seven and I accidentally believed was true, but it nevertheless, it remains that I have some response to it. And so might as well, that's all I got. So I got to go with it a little bit.